0: Hello, Ramp Church, and welcome to all of you who are tuning in, maybe for the first time. Um, thank you guys for just joining us together, joining with us as we dive into God's Word. And this morning I want to share, just I want to share with you um, in this chapter that we're on in Missional Life. I want to talk with you guys about just the power of prayer and why we as followers of Christ. Um, Don't just consider prayer as this religious obligation, this duty, this thing we have to do, but prayer is this powerful gift that God has given us, this conversation with Him that we now can have a two-way conversation between us and the very heart and mind of God. And we want to spend this morning just diving into God's Word and um, strengthening as a church our mindset, our hearts in how we approach corporate prayer and private prayer. And maybe you're new to faith. Maybe prayer is really intimidating. Maybe you feel like, gosh, it's like you feel like a failure in the place of prayer. One of the things that helps me when I'm praying to God is just to think about how I'm his child and that father daughter relationship, or maybe that father-son relationship, that when you are talking to your father, he understands your heart. And just like a little kid sometimes gets the words wrong, but the parent can often discern what the child is saying, your father can see to your heart. And there's something powerful about just starting communication with God, starting to verbalize the things that are going on inside of you in the presence of your Father. And um, I just want to encourage you that no matter where you're at in your journey of faith, maybe you've not even made a decision to fully transfer trust to Jesus. I believe this morning's word on prayer can encourage you and maybe even help uh, break off some in- intimidation or, or guilt in that area and invite you into this privilege that we have to commune and communicate, and um, not just for the sake of getting personal relief from burdens, but also for the sake of the world, for the sake of being effective in our mission. So, Ramp Church, um, we. We are very excited about in the near future as lockdown lifts, Lord willing, the end of June, being able to meet with you in person, and I'm going to put out a few things that I want us as a church body to be praying for, um, and I'll probably do that at the end of this message, but let's, let's dive into the Word of God, and let's read the Word of God together. Let's start in Luke 22. So we know that Jesus was sent by the Father um, to fulfill a mission. And he's the one that we're following, and the example we're following. And when it comes to fulfilling God's mission, living out the purposes of God, extending the kingdom of God, letting people taste and see what it's like to be under the rulership of King Jesus. And Jesus came and he fulfilled his purpose. He showed us the nature, revealed to us the character of God. He taught us about God, and then he paid this massive price uh, for our sin by going to the cross, being crucified, suffering, broken, taking the penalty upon himself for humans' sin, for their brokenness, their rebellion, their um, indifference, ignoring God, choosing their own way, choosing to do things in their own righteousness. Jesus came to pay the price for that and to make a way for us now to enter into his mission and his abundant life. So in Luke 22 this is at a kind of critical point in Jesus's life here on earth in fulfilling the purpose of God. He is about to go to the cross and he knows it. He has been communing with the Father throughout his life here on earth and he was tuned in to what the Father had sent him to do. He knew why he had come and he knew that that hour was upon him. So he is here with his disciples. Let's look at Luke 22 verse 39. This says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. So, in this moment, okay, we have this scene where Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's about to um, accomplish atonement, redemption, he's about to fully yield himself to the Father's will and suffer for us, then be raised from the dead. hallelujah, tear the the veil and make a way for us now all to partake in his righteousness. and in this moment he is I, from the text you can see he is weighed down with the price he's about to pay and he what does he do sometimes when when I even love just this simple very basic truth of Jesus being weighed down by this mission that's been entrusted to him and this thing that he's been sent by God to do feeling like whoa it's a lot this is a cup of suffering Lord I don't know if my flesh wants to drink this, but not what I want, your will be done. And what does he do? How does he respond to all the emotions that he's feeling, the the battle that's in his mind, this knowing that he's about to suffer, knowing what lies ahead? He comes to this Mount of Olives and he prays. And Ramp Church, I know many of you might be feeling like this season in your life has been long, Or you feel like the weight of what God's asking you to do feels a bit heavy. A bit like perhaps a bit of suffering involved in that mission. That God has given you and entrusting you with His presence here on earth and entrusting you to be His ambassador, to be a representative of Him in your family and your workplace. And maybe you feel like you're failing, maybe you feel all sorts of things. And I just wanna tell you sometimes when you're feeling all the things and you're feeling all the feelings, you need to just come away and do what Jesus did and pray in the midst of all of the internal struggle. What do you do? You don't disengage you engage, and you start with prayer. And he's honest. He's honest before the Father. He's he's saying, can you take this cup of suffering from me? But then he, he is resolved. I love how it prophesies his resolve in Isaiah 50. It's verse 7, I believe, where it says he's determined to do the will of God. He's set his face like flint. And so there's this flesh and spirit, this, the humanity of Jesus is saying, I don't want to go to the cross, but the spirit that is determined to do the will of God is saying, not my will, but your will be done. And he's in such distress in prayer, such fervency in prayer. And his disciples are there with him. And I love this description of how it explains his disciples. He goes and he finds them exhausted from grief. They have fallen asleep exhausted from grief, exhausted from sorrow. And these disciples probably know something is about to happen. I mean, Jesus has been preparing them, telling them that he is going to the Father. He has been trying to tell them things. I love it how he even frames how he um, tells the disciples about the suffering that he's about to endure. He's, he's giving them a heads up, and he even uses little phrases like, I'm telling you this in advance so that when it all happens, you'll believe in me. You'll believe that I, that I came and I laid down my life. It wasn't taken from me. It'll strengthen your faith. And so they're sensing this moment, and they're exhausted. Maybe they're exhausted from even trying to figure out what Jesus means. Maybe they're exhausted from the grief, the sorrow of of not knowing exactly what's about to happen. They can sense the heaviness of Jesus, and they're asleep, and they're exhausted from grief and sorrow. And what does Jesus say to them? He looks above their temporary exhaustion. He looks above with their physical condition and he says to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. They're about to enter in to an intensity of the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. And Jesus knows the battle is about to get intense. He knows they're exhausted from sorrow. And he knows they're grieving and that they're trying to figure things out. And what does he tell them to do? He says, get up and pray. And sometimes, I just want to pause here and say, sometimes in grief, in sorrow, the temptation of the enemy is to disengage from God. You can't figure out what God is doing. You can't understand what Jesus is talking about. He's going to the cross. He's not making any sense. Why is he about to die? This is not what you thought the prophetic words about the Messiah meant. You're having a hard time mentally wrapping your brain about what God's mission is. How could God's purpose be to crucify Jesus? And you're exhausted from it. And in exhaustion, the enemy will come and and the temptations can be all the more bigger and real. Jesus said, even in this passage in another um, one of the Gospels, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And when we are feeling worn out, in your faith, in your mission, in the reason why God has sent you to that family, as the parent of that child, in that school place, in that workplace, in this city, when you've been sent here to release the presence of God to make Jesus known, and when the enemy comes and wears you down or life wears you down, you need to pray so you don't give in to temptation. And this this is where I want to talk about how the mission of God And I know this is going to sound probably quite basic, but it's such an essential truth for the place of prayer, is the mission of God we know is opposed by the kingdom of darkness. Now, Jesus has won the victory, and he has sent us here as his representatives, his ambassadors, filled us with his spirit, and he has sent us here to enforce and manifest the victory of his kingdom. To be those who proclaim good news and who give people a taste, saying like Jesus did to the world around us, the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. God is good and God is even going to get better. And we're here in this mission, but darkness in Colossians 1, it talks about the kingdom of darkness is actually the kingdom that Jesus rescued us from. So there's this kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of our of our King Jesus. And we are here to impose the kingdom of God. And that gets opposition. And so we're not surprised by this, but we have to see prayer in the context of this bigger picture. I want you to listen to what how John Piper, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote something by John Piper, because to me, he just does a really great job being so concise in summarizing this thought for me. When we think of prayer, we think, oh gosh, I'm failing prayer, or I'm not, how am I doing with prayer? And, and prayer is wonderful for strengthening us in our relationship, but I want to talk about prayer in the context of our mission today. And not just the context of infilling and refreshing, but the importance of prayer in being able to fulfill the purposes of God. Just like Jesus, he's about to fulfill the purpose of going to the cross, and he's a man of prayer, and he's about to pray it up in the garden. And he's calling his disciples to pray because this is essential for what they're about to enter into. So listen to this by John Piper. It says, the number one reason while prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer, is that they try to turn a wartime walkie talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters, and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give you tactical advice, tactile advice, and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. God has given us this privilege of being able to ask him, and him actually uh, his, and when we agree with his will, in asking him, we can we can see the answers to what we're asking regarding his will. And this is such a huge part of our mission: to bring about the will of God here on earth. Over and over, Jesus talking to his disciples, he's saying, He's preparing them, he's renewing their mind about why he is here and why he is mobilizing them. And he's teaching them about prayer. One of the things that he is telling them over and over is, you will ask in my name. And when you ask in my name, the Father will give it. And sometimes we think of asking God as just like this genie in a bottle where we ask God for things that we want to make our life easier. And well, God doesn't seem to answer that. Well, God must not answer prayer. But do you see that prayer is also in the context of the big, huge thing that God is doing? And we have this privilege of prayer of partnering with God, not just to make our life a little fluffier, a little more luxurious, a little more easy. But we have this this privilege of prayer so we can partner with the will of God and manifest the will of God on the earth. And I love the analogy. I feel so, I guess I love and hate it. It's convicting to me. The analogy that John Piper uses of the difference between this wartime walkie-talkie and this household intercom. Now, I don't know if you have an intercom at your house. I know that's kind of an old thing. I can remember growing up in my house, um, and we had an intercom system. So, you know, you could buzz on the intercom, hey, mom, can you bring me a sandwich? You know? <laughs> or, you, or your mom buzzes, hey, come down to do the dishes. And it's, you know, it's yeah, it's a nice tool for communication, but to compare it to something as critical as a, as a walkie-talkie, as a means of communicating on the front lines of a battle, well, that's two different universes. And some of us have thought of prayer as just this access to God so that we can we can have an easier life. And yes, God's presence does make everything easier in the sense of we're renewed with strength and in the inner man filled with joy, filled with peace, and we need his presence, and we need to know that he is with us, and prayer is a way that we know that where we are assured that he is with us. But it's also this very critical part of our mission to believe and agree with the will of God. And in the place of prayer, we stand there between heaven and earth as conduits of his will. So the mission of God, the kingdom of God can be advanced. And all throughout the New Testament, you see People coming together. Paul praying night and day for the people he's over and pastoring and leading. And the believers praying for things like Peter to be released from prison and not to be killed. And and the believers praying together and God sending uh, Paul and Barnabas in, in response to their prayers so that they can plant a church and bring the gospel to an unreached people group. And you see these Big things happening because these, these church people are getting together to pray, not just for individual ease of life, but to pray that the kingdom would come. And Ramp Church, I want to remind you and encourage you. I want to be known as a people of prayer just because, one, we're, we're disciples, right? We, we mimic and follow and imitate the pattern of life that Jesus had here on earth. But I also want, I want us to, to understand that when we pray together, we become more effective, more fruitful in the mission that God has for us. Now, going back to Luke 22, where Jesus says, pray so you don't fall into temptation. To me, this, this is a great little um, excerpt on even reference to how there is an enemy who is tempting us. There's an enemy out there who wants us to fall into temptation. What, what kind of temptation? What kind of temptation and, and who is, you know, the enemy? Well, we know that the enemy, first of all, in John ten ten, this enemy, the devil, Jesus said of him that his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus' purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. And then Jesus also says of this enemy that he's a murderer from the beginning that he has always hated the truth he's opposed to the truth of god it says he has hated the truth because there is no truth in him and when he lies it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies and so oftentimes temptation is coming to simply agree with the lies of the enemy to uh, the the temptation is to lose faith by agreeing with the narrative of the enemy. And let me, let me just put it this way. The enemy is after your faith, your faith in God. When you believe in God, when you believe in his purpose, when you believe in who he says he is, when you believe these things, it says in 2nd Chronicles 20, when you believe in the Lord, you are able to stand firm. When you believe in the Lord, when you believe in his word, that belief transforms your behavior. It engages you in the fight because you know who you are. You know you're victorious. You know you're part of this big global kingdom that already has the victory. When you believe God, it changes everything about your function, your, your disciplines, your habits. When we believe, everything starts with faith, with believing God. So the enemy is always after faith, through lies, through his tactics, setting up circumstances. I mean, he's not just whispering lies. He's trying to construct whole theater stage sets. You know, some of you think the enemy has just got a little microphone. Sometimes, no, he literally, it's like he is a master artist that's doing this whole theatrical stage set. And he's wanting to lie to you through circumstances that God is not good, that God cannot heal, that God is not true to his word. And he's, he's, sometimes he is deceiving us by causing us to interpret natural circumstances in a way that defies the character of God. So we have this enemy, and he's after our faith. Listen to this, when, when I'm out, to just drive home the little bit about this war is opposing the mission of God and the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And part of it, in, as an individual and a corporate church body, the enemy is after our faith. Wanting us not to believe God, not to believe in his promises, not believe. Well, pray, but just don't believe anything you pray. Well, go to, go to church, but just, you know, you don't. And there's a battle for faith. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He's at the end of his life. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's a fight of faith. He's fought the good fight. He kept the faith. He didn't lose faith. He kept the faith. Then he says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, he's talking about one of his churches. He says, I could stand it no longer. So I sent to find out about your faith. He's not checking in, making sure that all the circumstances. He's looking for faith, just like God is looking for faith. Because if faith is there, then the kingdom of God can be released. If faith is there, then Jesus can show up on the scene. Just a little bit of a mustard seed size faith. And heaven starts to invade earth. And if the enemy can shut down our faith, then he will shut down our prayer life. He will shut down our mission. I love what Ian Bounds says. He says, faith and prayer are Siamese twins. He says, one can't be strong without the other. If you want to have strong prayer life, you need to have strong faith life. If you want strong faith life, you need to have strong prayer life. They're connected. So the enemies after our faith, Paul says, I've sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Tempted to what? Well, he said he came to find out about their faith, tempted them to stop believing. To to what Paul says in other parts where he's praying for the church is that they would confidently keep hold and firmly grasp their faith and not let go of the faith they first confessed. You're in a battle for faith. We're in a battle of faith to believe the word of God, to believe the will of God, and to stand firm in an unbelieving culture. And just like God told Israel, we're here sent to this city. God told Israel, I have chosen you, Israel, to be my witness, to know me, and to declare among the nations that there is no other God. And God has set us here. We've talked about this throughout this chapter in this, um, this God-opposing culture. And that is exactly where we can thrive. In this hostile environment to faith, God plants people of faith. And he says, here's what I want you to do. You're a witness. Like in a court stand, you are a witness, your life, the way you live your life, the way you do your finances, the way you work, your work ethic, your parenting. You are a witness that there is a God in heaven. There is one true God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And your job in the battle is to stand firm and not, not lay not lay down the faith that God started in you. So the tempter is tempting. Jesus even said in earlier in Luke 22, that, um, let me read this passage right here in Luke 22. Before he went to the garden, he's having this conversation. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, to sift all of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. I have pleaded that your faith should not fail. Faith is essential. Now, some of you think, great. Faith is essential, and I don't feel like I have a lot of faith. You are not the only one. There was a, there was a man in Mark 9 whose boy was demon-possessed, and Jesus' disciples couldn't help. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And the man, and Jesus says, Anything is possible if you believe. And the man replied to Jesus, He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes when you don't have, you don't feel like you have a lot of faith. You start with praying. You start using what you have. You may just have a smidge of faith. Maybe that smidge of faith caused you to tune in this morning. God takes that little bit of faith and if you use it, he adds more to it. It's when you have a little bit of faith and you don't do anything about it. That it's taken away. It grows. It's just what Jesus said. To those who have more will be given. If they use what they have. So you've got this little bit of faith. And how do you exercise faith? How do you increase faith? Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You want to build your faith. You want to be firm in this battle that we are in. You're going to use your faith by praying the word of God. When you pray the word of God, it's God's word in you that has authority and to shift atmospheres to shift the way things are, things are in the natural, to give you inner strength so you can resist the enemy. Let's look at a couple more thoughts on this. So we're in this battle of God's mission. We've been given this privilege of prayer, this, this necessity of communicating with God, asking for his will, releasing his will on the earth. I want to close with just a few things, Ramp Church, that I want us to pray about and I want us to, um, to, how to pray. Okay, so I've already talked to you a little bit about faith. The enemy's after your faith. So what do you need to do? You need to pray so you don't give in to temptation. When the mission feels overwhelming, Jesus says in Matthew 9, it says he was walking throughout the crowds. He had compassion on them, for they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said, he said to his disciples, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest so that he may send forth laborers into his field. What do we do when the mission feels too big? we pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. When, when, when they were in the midst of all of these crowds of people who were diseased and helpless, and Jesus had been healing all day, I wonder if he wasn't thinking just the need is huge. He was thinking. He says the, the harvest is huge, but the laborers are few. And When you see this gap, when you're doing the will of God and you see this gap between the need and the resources that you have and what God has, um, how much you feel you have. And that gap feels big. What do you do? You pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. To, prayer, is, prayer precedes harvest. Prayer precedes even the mission of God manifesting. So I want us to increase prayer, Ramp Church. I want us to increase prayer so we can see an increase of the will of God manifesting through us. Now, some of you, I can hear you. I can hear you now. You're people of prayer, but you never pray with your church. And I want to say, if you're part of a church, then part of being a church is you pray together. It was Acts, where they're talking about the early church, it says they devoted themselves to certain things. Prayer together was one of the things they devoted themselves to. You know, Church is not just about you getting a bit of encouragement. Church is about us being this corporate body to come around this mission. Church is not a social club. Church does not exist so you have good friends. Church does not exist just so you get fed. Church is God assembling a body for his mission. And if we're going to be a real church, then we are going to have to be a people that pray together, not just in our own prayer closet. You've heard it say this little, I'm sure maybe you've heard this little um, cliche in the Christian world, the, the couple who prays together stays together. People who pray together stay together. There's something important about praying together. So in this season, I want us to increase prayer together. Now, we've got prayer meetings. You can find those on our, on our website. And start your own prayer meeting. You know, find out. You need to come and, and hear what the prayer needs are. You need to be connected. You need to be under the covering. A covering of spiritual authority is like if I pop up an umbrella, you're under that covering if you're in proximity. You can't shout from across the room and say, hey, Stacy, I want to be under that. I want to be a part of that. But you never show up to where I am. You've got to be close in proximity if you want to be part of the church covering. So you come to the places where we're already at, and then we pray together, and we pray about the word of God for this city, and we pray about the mission of God, and we pray for things like, Lord, we need a building. We do need a building. We need a place where we can gather, a place where we can facilitate encounters. We need to see our hearts united in the place of prayer. These are all reasons why we pray together. It's not just so that you're strong individually, but so that we can be a unified people. So I want us to, we're going to pray in this season. We're going to pray together. Maybe there's not a prayer meeting that... Um, You can make. Well, some of you guys have called a couple of your home group, your community groups, and you're praying on your lunch break. And I love to hear about that. You've you've created a prayer meeting. You're praying together for church needs with other people in your groups at a time that's convenient for you. That's wonderful. Jesus said in Luke 18 that when two agree together about anything they ask for, it will be done. That where two are gathered aren't in my name, that he's right there in the midst. So prayer in this season looks like praying with your church family. Praying together, because when you come together, you stand before this huge God, and it humbles you. It's humbling to come before. Joe and I pray together sometimes in the middle of conflict. We'll just drop the armor, and we'll pray together. And it's humbling. You realize, Lord, here we both are, two humans standing in the presence of a mighty God. Then we humble ourselves before you, and it's just grace comes. Just like it says in 1 John or Hebrews 4, grace comes to help us in that time of need. In this season, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for a move of God. We're going to pray for a great awakening. We're going to pray for hearts that are fully awake and responsive to God. We're going to pray for souls in this city to be brought from, from darkness to light. We're going to pray for laborers to be sent out. We're going to pray for, for little tiny things that are so easy for God, like a the right place to meet and the volunteers to make these meetings happen. We're going to pray these things into manifestation. God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray with faith. And we're going to pray believing that God hears us. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to believe that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're going to believe that God is for us. We're going to take him at his word. We're going to pray the word. When we don't know what to pray, we're going to open this and we're going to declare his word back to him. And hearing that word come out of our mouth will build our faith. We're going to pray in faith. We're going to be a people who believe that God's mission is going and can be accomplished through his people in this city. So let's pray together. Let's pray with faith Let's pray together. Let's pray with faith so we don't give in to temptation. The temptation to quit. The temptation to disengage. The temptation to isolate. You know, I, I was talking about wartime and soldiers and life in this epic battle that we're in. And if we think about the way even natural armies are set up, there's authority and there's people under authority and they move in units. You don't just have some rogue soldier out there. There's, there's actual spiritual authority. There's collective groups of people. They're given assignments to fulfill those assignments. They have to put aside their rights and submit to leadership that God has laid out, the word of God. We submit ourselves to the word of God. We submit ourselves to each other. We submit ourselves to being able to lay aside our rights and take up the big purposes of God. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray with faith. And then last in Luke 11 and 18, Jesus gives two parables about prayer to teach his disciples about prayer. And the key ingredient in these parables is persistence. It's the Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Luke 11, the neighbor who needs some bread, knocks, knocks, knocks on the door in the middle of the night. Jesus says, it's because of your shameless persistence that I'm going to open this door. And he uses that as a story to then tell his disciples, keep asking and you'll receive. Keep knocking and the door will be open. Keep seeking and you will find. So we're going to pray with persistence, earnestly. We're going to keep praying. That is a sign of faith. That's a sign God is moving in us is that we can keep praying, keep believing. We're going to keep believing for a move of God. We're going to keep believing for a church that's genuine that is awake and happy about it, that's unified. We're going to keep believing that we can be family and friends. We're going to keep believing that God can awaken a generation. We're going to stay steadfast. We're going to stand firm in that place of believing. We're going to see God do what only God can do. And on Wednesdays, we set aside time to fast. And I want to encourage you, fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual reasons, to focus in on the heart of God. And I love, just real quick, what why prayer and fasting? It's like this dynamic duo. In 2 Chronicles 20, he says, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, we learn that when you don't know what to do, pray and fast. Mark 9, we learn if what you're doing isn't working, pray and fast. In the book of Daniel, we learn when there's a gap between God's words and your circumstances, pray and fast. Uh, when there needs to be labor sent, we pray and fast. Acts thirteen. Come on, we we together. We want to not just um, have these ideas in our head and individually do them whenever we want. We are a body, and that means we do things together. That's the point of being corporate together: is we can draw strength from each other. I want to. I want to encourage you, Ramp Church. Don't give up. Don't give in to temptation to disengage, to not believe. God will do everything that he has promised. And let us be a people that he finds faith when he returns. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this mission that you have given us. This incredible privilege to co-labor with you. This incredible, incredible privilege to communicate with you, to ask and see things manifest. Lord, I just pray for those who may feel weak in faith. I pray for those, Lord, who, who um, this is all very new. We just join hands in the spirit. And we thank you that you've directed our steps to each other. And Lord, we stand here together. We pray for the right place. We pray for the right people. We pray for the right time in our city for your kingdom and your mission to be released. We pray, Lord, for the venues that we need, but more than venues and buildings. We pray for hearts, God, that are fully awake, fully engaged in the fight, fully given, fully surrendered to you, Lord, that we can see you do mighty things through our yielded lives. We love you, Jesus. We are forever indebted to all you have done. It's our joy, our joy to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have questions about faith, if you have prayer needs, just comment below. Click on the I Have Decided button or email us if you need to meet up with someone to talk and pray about this journey with Jesus. And we would love to talk more about that with you. And we pray for you, Ramp Church, that this week you experience the nearness of God's presence. We love you and we'll see you throughout the week for prayer.